this point in my retirement, I have about five churches I feel like are home churches. It's so wonderfully to be blessed in so many different places, know so many good believers, and to be able to share the Word of God with them. Today we start a series on the life of John, and I'm going to divide this series up into John before Jesus, John meeting Jesus, John being his disciple and apostle, and then the end of John's life. So John did have a life before Jesus. We all have a life before Jesus. Sometimes that life before Jesus might be short if we're raised in the church and come to faith at a very early age, which some people do, and they believe in the Lord all their life. Other people come much later in life, maybe even in their 70s and 80s, and come to faith in Christ. I remember visiting a woman in a nursing home. She used to come out to my... Uh, my worship service that I had there, and she ended up believing in Christ in her 80s, and it's just a wonderful thing to see how she even grew so fast in the time she was with us, and then, then I saw her die, and uh, was, was really grateful that the Lord had used that to bring her to himself. John, like all the apostles, had a life before Jesus. And it was not until he was old enough to work and to uh, grow up and that, and Jesus began his ministry, that it really came to faith in Christ. Now everyone is, before we meet Jesus and follow Jesus, have a life of unique experiences. Though there are some things common in everybody's life, and you might have met Jesus as I did, or you might have met him in another way. There are experiences that are unique to us. Some of us might have experienced poverty before coming to Christ, our addiction, our immorality, our violence, our family dysfunction, and all this gets carried in to our faith in Christ, and he brings healing to it. Others of us might have been in a different situation completely, in a different time, a different place, a different family, a different political climate that informs our sensibilities, our mind, and our hearts. Others come to Christ who have experienced wealth, don't have addictive personalities, may have had a righteous upbringing of love, and support, a loving environment, a stable community, good examples to follow, and these also carry in to their faith in Christ. It's interesting, some of the disciples were zealots. They were ones that wanted to do away with the Romans. And then you had another disciple of Jesus that was a tax collector, a, 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 a agent of the Roman authorities. Amazing how Christ can pull together people who otherwise would not even like each other. But we all have these differences. Some were well-trained in the faith and devoted. Others, not so much. And while our background makes our coming to Jesus a unique situation, our background doesn't make us more or less likely to come to faith in Jesus. That is because it is the work of the supernatural God within us. 
It's not dependent upon human things. It's dependent upon the choosing of God. And some with spiritual advantage, I've seen sadly over the years, been raised in Christian church and gone to Christian school, reject Jesus. And I've seen others come from a non-Christian home or environment, didn't know the Bible, and came even in their teenage years to have a, uh, a, a great faith in Christ. So we can't let our background, we can't let our experiences influence needlessly where we are in Christ. John himself says this, the wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound, its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. You just see the wind blow into someone's life, no matter what their background, no matter what their experience, and you see the work of God, the sovereign God in each life. And so we go from a point of, of not knowing Jesus to meeting him, and today we're going to get a handle on John, his context, his personality, his spiritual background, and his spiritual tendencies, his family, his status in life. And this will lay a foundation for understanding John as he meets Jesus, as he follows Jesus, as he comes into Jesus' inner circle, as he is appointed an apostle, becomes a pillar of the church and ends his life in old age in persecution. Let's first of all take a look at John's family. Turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, the first chapter. And picking up at verse 19. Here we see John with his family. And going on a little farther, Jesus saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending nets. Here we get a little introduction into John's life. His father's name is Zebedee, as it says here. He was a successful businessman, his business was fishing. We see Zebedee is the father of two brothers, James and John. Usually they are named in this order, maybe indicating that James is the older brother and John is the younger brother. And they were in the boat. They were mending nets. They were fishermen on the Sea of Galilee, and they come to meet Jesus. Now hold that thought. It's interesting. As you read this passage, it's kind of strange because Jesus comes and there's John and James and he says to them, like out of the blue, like a complete stranger, follow me. Now, who in their parents' business would be working in the business some stranger comes and shows up and says, follow me, and they drop everything to follow him? No, there was a relationship between John and James and Jesus before this that the text doesn't go into, but you can discern by 
comparing the various gospel accounts. And we're going to do that right now and see what this connection might be. Verse 20 adds another interesting thought about this family business. And immediately he called them, Jesus called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Now, in the other accounts, the hired servants aren't mentioned, so you think, well, that's pretty bad. There are James and John abandoning their father to do the business alone. No, 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 no. He was a very wealthy businessman, and he had higher servants that helped him also. So we get a little inkling of John's background in a probably upper-middle-class family from that period with their own servants working in the family business. Very interesting indeed. Now, who is John's mother? John's mother, I maintain to you, and uh, you can redo this in ISBE, the international, what is that? International Bible Encyclopedia. Um, Very good book. But turn with me now to Mark at the end of the gospel this time, verse 40. Mark, the 15th chapter, verse 40. It helps to get the right book. This is the time when they're all at the cross as Jesus is being crucified, and it's listed who is there. And in the 15th chapter, the 40th verse, it says, There were also women looking on from a distance. Among them are Mary Magdalene, which is uh, mentioned, who was mentioned much in the Gospels, and Mary, the mother of James the Younger. A lot of Marys here. Mary, Jesus' mother, Mary of Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Joseph, and Salome. No explanation as to who this Salome is. And so let's go now to Matthew, the 27th chapter, and take a look at the same scene and who Matthew says is at the crucifixion with all these people. 27, Matthew 27, 56. And there were also many women, verse 55, there looking on from a distance who followed Jesus from Galilee ministering to him. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. Now, Mark mentions Salome. Matthew, Mark, mentions the mother of the sons of Zebedee. All the other people are mentioned together in both books. It's just that one gives the name, the other gives who she was. And so from inference, therefore, Salome is the mother of James and John. And now go over to the Gospel of John, verse 19, 25. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. 
Here we see again Mary Magdalene. We see the people mentioned there. And now we have this person, um, Mary, and her sister. And the inference here is that Salome again. Salome is the mother of James and John, and Salome is the sister of Mary. Now you say, well, that's kind of stretching it. Well, let's turn to Mark again. This time the 16th chapter of Mark, verse 1. And this is why you need to do a topical study sometimes. Things you can't see when you're doing it exegetically, tying things together, giving you more knowledge than you can in a superficial reading of just going through the text straightly. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so they might anoint him. So we see these women coming to anoint him, one of them being Salome, and what relationship would Salome have there to be with Mary, except, as we said, she's her sister, supporting her in the spicing of Jesus after the third day to complete the burial because um, of this relationship that she has with Mary and therefore Jesus being her nephew. Interesting to take a look at all this. Now, that also gives you a little bit of understanding what was happening at the cross. When Jesus looked at John, Mary's there, Salome's there, and John is there. And Jesus is dying on the cross, and he looks down at John, and he says to him, you take my mother, and he looks at his mother, and he says, you take him now as your son. And it gives so much more meaning. He just didn't pick any disciple to do this. He picked his cousin, the son of his mother's sister, there was a family tie here that the cousin is being given the responsibility of taking care of his mother. It also gives this, this relationship that Jesus and, and, and John had that, that Jesus was a disciple that John loved. And, Jesus, and, and John, at the Last Supper, has his head on Jesus' bosom. They're cousins. Now, I see my grandchildren, and from both my daughters, and I see how those cousins love each other. <laughs> they die for each other. They're related to each other. And so John had this beautiful, wonderful relationship of Jesus, not only to be his cousin, but to be his follower and to be a believer. Jesus, Jesus had an impact on his family group. Jesus had an impact on his friend group. And the first ones to come to faith were those who, who knew Jesus and Jesus knew them. 
his relatives, the fishermen. And we understand, too, that John the Baptist is a cousin of Jesus, maybe first removed, because in the book of, of, of uh, Luke, when Mary is given the revelation that she's going to have a child and that Elizabeth is already pregnant, the angel says to her, and your relative. And the speculation there is, or the inference there is, that possibly being an older woman like Mary's mother, who is now having a child in her old age, that she is Mary's aunt, the mother of Mary's, or the sister of Mary's mother. And so we see John, Jesus and John, his cousin, John the Baptist, is introducing him to the world. And his cousin is becoming a disciple, taking responsibility and care for his mother. These things just didn't happen out of the blue. There, there were connections being made, both spiritually and in family. And God was using that. And now we're all one big family in Jesus because Jesus said later on in his ministry, those who, who are my mother and my brothers and my sisters, but those who believe in me, we are all family in that sense. So John knew Jesus before he was called him by the sea. Jesus just didn't show up and say, come follow me. There had been a relationship. A lesson from this is that it is not true that we are most likely to have the great, is it not true that we are most likely to have the greatest spiritual impact on our family and our acquaintances? The first one that overcame the faith after I came to faith was my own sister who started to attend church. Maybe when you got saved, I seen the gospel go through whole families. One person gets saved, and everybody in that family's gotten saved. I've seen that happen, not just once. And friend groups, you're saved in college, and your friend group gets, gets exposed, and, and many of them become saved too. That's the way God works. He doesn't work just out of the blue, although sometimes he might. He might meet a stranger. But most of the time, it's people we know, people we deal with, people that know us, and we know them, and the gospel living in our life has an impact on them. Now let's turn to John's gospel, the 18th chapter, the 15th verse. Taking me a while to get there. Here's an interesting statement from John. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did the other disciple. Jesus has been arrested. He's being led to the high priest's house. Simon and, and the other disciples fled, but, but Peter turns around and begins to follow Jesus. Him and so did another disciple. Now, now that's a cryptic saying. John uses this a, a few times in his book. He says, and there was this other disciple. And there was this other disciple. 
And many scholars believe that John's talking about himself in these situations. So the speculation is it's, it's Simon Peter and it's John, this other disciple, who was known to the high priest. And he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. Peter stood outside the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. Here's this other disciple. He's known to the family of the high priest. P Peter is not so much. And he talks to the servant girl and is able to get Peter to come into the house, into the, the, the courtyard anyway, and John goes even further in because he's known by the people there. How would he be known by the priestly family. Well, one speculation is John's a cousin of theirs. John the Baptist, and John the Baptist's father was a priest who in serving in the temple saw a revelation of an angel and told he was going to have a son. And so John the Baptist, cousin of John of Salome and Jesus of Mary, are all cousins, and John being a part of this family group and meeting together with them, and when they were younger, who knows what they were able to do when they were at Jerusalem in the Passover. This disciple knows the high priest's family. And now that we know the family connections, it makes sense that it's John. It's not just plain speculation, there's some evidence for this being John and the one who's able to get in to the high priest there. Andrew and John would have known each other also as we saw um, um, going to another passage, let's go to the beginning of John this time, John the first chapter, the 35th verse, John 1.35. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and, and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him for a day for it was about the 10th hour. And then one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon P Peter's but brother. And Andrew, believing after talking to Jesus all day that he's the Messiah, goes his brother and brings him to Christ. But who is this other disciple that isn't mentioned? Well, since John and Andrew were fishermen together, because you look at the passages that we already looked at about the fishers, it was Andrew and Peter that were called first, then James and John. They're fishermen in the same town as James and John. And it makes sense that if Andrew's down there with John the Baptist, that John, his cousin, has taken interest in his cousin, and that Andrew and John are there together. And so John had a spiritual life before Jesus, a spiritual life of following John the Baptist, a spiritual life of responding to the call of repentance. 
A spiritual life of John the Baptist pointing his cousin to his other cousin to follow. And so it's very, very interesting, all these connections, as we look at the details of the passages and try to tie them together. And so God was working in a family group, and out of this family group coming to faith in Christ, the whole world has had the gospel preached to it. That leads us to John's spiritual life. If this is John and Andrew in Judea hearing and being baptized by John and becoming a disciple of Jesus, of of, uh, John the baptizer, then we see his heart being led not only to repentance but to follow the Messiah. And when his own cousin is pointed out to him to be the Messiah, it's very easy for him to follow him. They had already left the family business for a time to be down there with John the Baptist. They had heeded the call of repentance. They anticipated the Messiah. Next time we're together, we'll take a look at John's call. But let's take a look at just a couple more things as we close this out this morning. There are spiritual movements all around us. Many of them are true movements from God. Others are not. And John writes in his epistle, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you will know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the Spirit of the Antichrist. Can you feel John's feeling that personally? That there were a lot of false spiritual movements that went on in Israel during the lifetime of John. And they were false. The only true one was the one that was in Jesus the Messiah. And John in writing his epistle brings this out very, very clearly that you've got to understand the proper place. And also John says, do not seek the things in the world, the things of the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life are from the world and are not of the Father. If you love the things of the world, you cannot have the love of the Father too. And so John forsook the things of the world, forsook the fishing business to become a full-time disciple and apostle of Jesus Christ. I hope if you have not yet done so that you would despite or because of your own life history come to know the Spirit of God and to believe in Jesus who has come in the flesh. May you respond to the Spirit already living among you in your family and those who know. And may you be a positive spiritual influence on others in your family and your family group once you believe. If you do not believe in Jesus, may your unique experience help those like you to come to faith and help those like you and around you to identify with you in some way that they can believe in Jesus also. Let us also understand that we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. 
his genetic family, humanly speaking, was useful at the beginning, but now we are one big true family connected by the Holy Spirit, Jesus being the head, and all of us members of his body, the church. Let us pray. Lord, we do thank you for your word and the things in it. And we pray, Lord, that we might see in our own family connections, in our own friendship connections, the working of Jesus going from our hearts to other hearts as we care for them and love them. And we pray that as we see these relationships that will help us to understand as we read the scripture a little bit better what is going on and how these connections are and why it makes more sense than just thinking that somebody just stopped by the store and they became followers instantly for no real reason. And so, Lord, we pray we might understand your word, that we might understand this first epistle, that we might understand this real human life, and by knowing all those things, that we might know you, love you, and serve you better. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Hill Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, please visit our website at www.mercyhillnj.org. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the Church House, located at 300 University Boulevard in Glassboro, off of Harvard Avenue, adjacent to the J. Harvey Rogers School and near Rowan University. We'd love for you to join us. Please see our website for directions. Thank you again for listening to the Mercy Hill Sermon Podcast.